Hello and welcome back to Plant Product Owner. This is your host, Scott. Uh, the podcast and the, these episodes that I put out here are primarily for product owners, but a lot of the episodes that we have have a lot of cross-functionality in terms of uh, the audience. So a lot of organizational leaders, I've gotten some uh, messages from, from, from your type. I've gotten messages from scrum masters, product owners, team members alike. And so what we do here, again, is we kind of develop the art of becoming a product owner, the art of those uh, agile and scrum elements that we put into our day-to-day. Uh, the episode today that we're going to dive into really is for all team members. Uh, I think um, also it would be really beneficial for organizational leaders to uh, have a listen in today as well. I really do because of the nature of the content and the topic that we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm just going to throw out kind of a shameless plug here too. Uh, Venmo ID is uh, at J-G-1-222 and Cash App is the dollar sign J-S-G Scott, J-S-G Scott. So just in case you want to throw any donations my way to help out with the uh, with the time here, if you find it beneficial, not you're, you're, you're obviously not under no obligation, okay? So let's get into today's topic. Um, I want to just kind of point out that I was kind of browsing around on LinkedIn, and again, I look at a lot of content from a lot of other people. And I think that's really important for us as product owners to make sure that we're uh, capturing some information from other resources as well. I've mentioned to you that Mike Cohn, one of my all-time favorites, um, he posted <laughs> he posted kind of a controversial um, statement out there and said, um, how do we feel about just really doing away with the product owner role, maybe looking at a product manager, but coming to that role um, that the teams could kind of survive without it, right? Now, I don't think that he's advocating for doing away with the product owner role. I really think that uh, it was a topic to have some discussion about. Um, the question I go back to, and you guessed it, is why. <laughs> you know, why first? I think uh, I have to understand the need for the product owner. Why do we even need one? Um, and then I wonder, you know, uh, why it is that he would uh, suggest this topic. <laughs> but I thought it was really interesting, some cool replies and responses on there, and I posted a couple of uh, a couple of things that I was really concerned about that we want to dive into today. Um, I've explained to you all in a previous episode, or more than one, uh, about the need um, for the product owner, obviously, and I've also introduced you to what we call domain language. Um, so some of the elements of previous episodes are going to tie into this and wrap into this. And, uh, and again, I want to circle back to the topic and much love, Mike. I mean, I love you, man. I love your stuff. And again, I'm going to reiterate, I'm not real sure that he's advocating for the role to be abolished. Um, but again, I would, uh, ask you why, why, why would he even suggest this as a topic? So I think largely, uh, it's because the role is not really recognized as a necessary role anymore within an organizational agile organizational leadership who tend to put these scaled agile frameworks or even just making the call to quote unquote do agile was kind of a trend right it was kind of trendy to do that and then as it progressed they learned that there was such a learning curve to actually implement it and break the change from more traditional methods to become assimilated into being agile right it's not just do agile it's be agile so one of the biggest challenges was likely finding product owners who were capable of performing the duties. I've seen that. Uh, I've also seen other challenges. Um, perhaps they recognize at the end of the day that a traditional business analyst was probably the most uh, equipped resource for getting the requirements to the team. 
That's kind of what they always did anyway, right? But then we hired what's called a product owner because that's what was prescribed uh, in the uh, in the methodology. Or, you know, maybe we didn't hire a product owner. Maybe we promoted a business analyst or a BA into that role. And they kind of uh, they kind of cut the legs out from under the real product owner uh, in a lot of cases with organizational leaders, maybe, um, because this is another factor when they cut the legs out from under because they didn't empower them to do their job, right? And so that's why I think maybe this topic is coming up and maybe that's why that topic is trending in some circles, right? So I think that we're going to probably have some uh, detrimental outcomes if we took a global stance to doing away with the product owner role in Scrum. I'm going to talk about some of those potential outcomes in the next couple of segments today. Today is going to be maybe a little bit longer of, a, of, a, of an episode than what we're typically up against. Um, so you're going to find that I'm going to talk a little bit faster. So I know many of you, <laughs> many of you, you know, uh, we, you, you put this thing on like one and a half times the speed because I am from the South and I talk kind of slow. Uh, but I'm going to try to speed it up a little bit so we can get through this episode. So you may have to listen to it once or twice, as you normally do anyway, I think, from based on what I'm hearing from the feedback. Um, so we're going to talk about some of those outcomes in the next couple of segments. Then I'm going to wrap up on how we as a community of product owners can defend against it and maybe provide some help for you organizational leaders. Because, look, let's face it, you don't know what you don't know. You read the book, you got the cert, it was the cool thing to do, it was shiny, flashy, bright, and all of that good stuff. But now we've implemented it. Now what? Okay, how do I hold that? Uh, how, how do I hold that product on a roll in esteem? Right. Let me know if this product, if this uh, episode is helpful to you, or if you find reason to challenge it. Um, challenge anything that I lay out. I would love to hear from you at Scott at PlanetProductOwner.org. So, without further ado, let's get to Planet Product Owner. <music> So I'm sitting here trying to come up with a name and a title for this episode, <laughs> and it just hit me, No Mo P.O.? For real? No Mo P.O.? All right, so so what happens if we take a global stance to do away with product on a roll, right? I think the biggest thing is that the balance beam is missing. We have taken it off of the balance beam. What do you mean, Scotty? Well, y'all recall that I told you about the product owner. You need to constantly be on the balance beam between technology and business, right? There's a reason why that is needed. And let me give you an example by asking you a question. And if you're an organizational leader, even if you're a product owner, a scrum master, or a team member, I'll ask you this. Which philosophy, you ready? Which philosophy do you most encourage or most, uh, which philosophy do you walk out? Which do you kind of subscribe to? Does business drive technology or does technology drive business? It's an age-old question. I've asked it on this podcast before. Uh, I've heard this conversation uh, before with many, many folks. I've had the conversation, held it with many folks, many organizational leaders. And some folks, quite frankly, take a hard line on one side or the other. Uh, but the majority of these conversations typically go unanswered because they think it's a trick question. It's really not a trick question. Now, many of them talk about it kind of in circles almost, like in terms of, you know, we're going to do what's right. We're going to be an advocate for the customer. Uh, but they're also really careful to make sure that they point out that the technology is out front because of the advances and the practicality of improving the experience and making it easier to implement and save money. And it goes on and on and on, right? So let me tell you where Scott lands on this. It's not a matter of business driving technology or technology driving business. Really, it's the customer drives everything. The customer drives everything. So that's the philosophy that I subscribe to. Notice I didn't give the option in the question that I posed, and I do that purposefully. It's because we tend to believe in two different mindsets, 
right? We believe in the technical mindset or we believe in the business mindset, right? And so if you give someone the choice between those two, because most people in our worlds, uh, they feel like they belong to one or the other, and then very rarely you find folks who belong to both, right? So I want us to think outside the box a little bit more. Challenge is that too often we have organizational leaders who may say they're on one side or the other, but their actions may not support that stance. We have to support the stance with what we do in our actions, right? So with all that said, what are the things that help us support that balance beam to make sure that balance beam is in place to ensure that the customer needs are met, technology needs are addressed and satisfied? If the product owner weren't there, all right, let's just live in that world for a minute. We really likely run into the situation of this endless loop of debate on the technical landscape and approach. I can tell you that without an empowered product owner, which I'm going to dive into a little bit deeper later in this very episode, and this is totally from experience, right? Without an empowered product owner, the technical team will do whatever they need to do to stay in the graces of their technical management, regardless of the sprint goals, regardless of the health of the team, regardless of the byproduct of that customer, uh, customer what the customer suffers. Um, and if the customer surfer, uh, suffers, guess who else suffers? You do, organizational leader. Because you've made commitments to sponsors and stakeholders, and you've also made commitments to yourself and to the rest of your team, right? You have a team to do a job uh, that you secured funding for, but you found out way too late in the life cycle that the dev team went off the rails to pursue some deep technical adventure to rework the entire service bus or large-scale data farm or some new virtual container farm to host applications that aren't even involved with maybe what you're even asking for, Right. So keep the product owner on the balance beam. That's really, that's really important to realize. It's the first recommendation for you, and empower them to be there. Don't just put them on the beam and let them go. Empower them to be there. I'm going to talk about that a little more again in a minute. Uh, in the next segment, I want to kind of piggyback off this topic and give you another negative byproduct or an outcome if we did away with the product owner role. So hang tight. So yeah, that's that's one thing for sure, taking the uh, balance beam out of the equation. We're not going to have the balance anymore. Uh, something else that we have to consider is that um, the scope and the goals could be misunderstood. Uh, so let's fast forward to that new world order where the product owner is no longer the role uh, in a scrum team, right? Let's even take into consideration that a product manager is the new product owner, right? So I've said this before, the product manager could be a product owner too, but they have to make sure they take care of a few things, Right? First is the backlog, then the commitment to prioritize smaller batch sizes, being available for the team, uh, those kinds of things, ceremonies, whatever. So let me get this straight. Product manager who's really dedicated to setting and managing expectations for the strategy for the whole is going to be available for the team to help them understand the scope and the goals for the sprint. Um, That, my friend, is a unicorn in a lot of cases. Now, I know a few people who could do that. Uh, but let's consider what you really want out of a product manager versus a product owner. Product manager is more strategically focused than your average product owner who's really more tactically focused on meeting that strategy or what it is that you've laid out. I'm not saying uh, that there's no overlap. There should be some overlap. Product owners should be working on that roadmap as well. They should be working on some strategic goals out there. But it's all within the confines of what the product manager typically lays out in front of them, right? 
So when the product manager is advocating for funding and they're securing the buy-in for the full roadmap to proceed to the next level of the product, you expect them to join stand-ups. You expect them to maintain focus on grooming, on ceremonies, on elaboration, making sure that the relationships on the team are healthy and moving forward. And while during all of that, you're expecting them to maximize the value of the work performed by the team. Again, sounds like a tough task to me. Not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that it's a lot to ask for from the unicorn, right? I know people could probably do this. And I know some people who probably could. I'm one of them. But I can tell you, even for me, this was not easy, all right? Let's put the focus where the skills are and make it a unique set of skills, right? You know the old saying, there's a place for everything and everything in its place. That's what I'm talking about. Make sure this product manager is doing the job that they need to do which is focused on the roadmap and the funds and the growth and the ROI and the management of the product as a whole. Make sure the product owner's in tune with execution and supporting their goals. Make the priorities uh, a reality. Maximize the value that roadmap provided, right? That execution is where that product owner is really uh, more aligned, right? So I've talked to you a little bit about domain language before, and this is all about, again, the scope and maybe the requirements being kind of misunderstood, um, let's talk about that domain language like we've, like we've mentioned in some previous episodes here. Um, and just to kind of give you a point of reference, I've also talked to you about being three seats down. You guys remember that, right? The one, two, and three seat, whoever's in that third seat is the one you want to be working with. That approach is really important to what we do, product owners. Uh, product managers tend to speak in first seat language, right? Does that make sense? I mean, they're going to be speaking more in terms of first seat language, while product owners speak in second or third seat language. That's where we need to be. I think it's important to remember that because I, I think that domain language is so important. I can't tell you how many times I have had, I've, I've heard stories and I've seen it actually happen. Engineers, architects design something and the application won't work, right? It's because they're not on the execution or the tactical side. They're more on the strategic side. They have a different skill set. Language barrier is real, all right? Good product owners need to make sure they're having conversations with folks who are two or three seats down, preferably three. Um, you're not going to get any fluff in the third seat. <laughs> you're not going to get diagrams and charts and graphs and uh, salesmanship a lot there. You're not, that's not what you're going to get there in that third seat. You're going to get, you know, you're not going to get a lot of analytical, ph philosophical theories from that seat's perspective. You're just going to simply hear about problems, opportunities, and solutions. And really, from a tactical standpoint, that's what you're driving for, product owner. Okay? Those are not often found in the first seat. First seat's about the bottom line. I told y'all before, you got money, you got problems. Right? <laughs> that's where that first seat is. They're about the bottom line. They're about the market. They're about the funds. They're about the ROI. You kind of get where I'm going with this. The scope is one thing, but the requirements are yet another. The overall vision is one thing, but the execution needed in order to achieve it is something else. So again, just another thing to consider that if we did away with the product owner role and took a global stance about that, this is one of my big fears. So the balance beam was first, the scope and the uh, uh, requirements maybe being misunderstood due to the language barrier is another. So I'm going to jump to even another possible outcome in the next segment, so hang tight. 
So I hope you're getting something out of today's episode. Um, another output or another outcome, I guess, that, that kind of scares me if we were to do away with the product owner role in Scrum is this. So um, if we look at the Scrum Guide, which is, again, or at least it should be, <laughs> the basis for our formation, one of the items that it points out as an example output for the product owner is to, you ready for this, is to ensure the development team understands items in the product backlog to the level needed. Now, that's just one of a few things that it points out as an output for this role. All right. With that said, let's get this segment started with one of our most anticipated activities. A reading from the Scrum Guide. Okay, ready kids? Here we go. Product owner may do the above work, that's those outputs I was telling you about, or have the development team do it. However, the product owner remains accountable. The product owner is one person, not a committee. I'm reading this verbatim, guys. The product owner is one person, not a committee. The product owner may represent the desires of of a committee in the product backlog, but those wanting to change a product backlog item's priority must address the product owner. For the product owner to succeed, the entire organization must respect his or her decisions. The product owner's decisions are visible in the content and ordering of the product backlog. No one can force the development team to work from a different set of requirements. Whoa. (laughs) The description of the product owner revolves around one central theme or concept. Accountability. The next would be empowerment. So it gives me some guidance on how to accomplish this, how to accomplish the role, how to satisfy the role. A couple of things here have to be in place or be happening uh, to expect the product owner to maximize the value of the work. First, they have to be empowered. I mean, I know we talk about that. I know leadership talks about that. But you got to be empowered to be held accountable. Now, if we flip that around, the same is true. In order to be empowered, you have to be held accountable because I'm not going to be held accountable for something I'm not empowered for, right? I'm not going to be empowered if I'm not held accountable. So it did not tell me in that text that the product owner is accountable, but empowering and respecting their decisions was an option. It's not what it says. It also didn't tell me to empower the product owner, respect their decisions, but not hold them accountable. See, That's where product owners tend to get off the rails. And this is why maybe there's some talk and chatter out there about it. It's because product owner, you are accountable. That's what it says. It says that in the text, right? It's both. So organizational leaders, are you doing this? What kinds of things can you do to make sure that we're executing under this guidance? Product owners, what's in your way? And by the way, product owners, we we product owners, we fellow product owners, we got a code here. We already know the answer, right? We know the answer. We can be held accountable for something, but we can't control everything in that organization, right? We can be accountable for the outcome. We can be empowered um, to set the priority and to make those decisions, but we can't control everything outside of that, right? It's just not on us, right? So let's get back to the topic at hand. How are we uh, sometimes implicated in the skepticism around having a product owner role? If we look at this from a very basic and fundamental view from the guide, and yes, I'm talking to everybody on the team here, including the product owner. I'm also talking to you organizational leaders. First, 
Are we committed to assimilating into a lean and agile culture? That's first. That's got to be first. It's not about whether or not we're implementing Scrum. It doesn't matter if we're doing agile. Okay, that's not the way to. That's not the way to look at it. Are we committed to assimilating into a lean and agile culture? Because if we are, then we're looking at the agile manifesto and other materials to support our decisions, um, to support our inspect and adapt principles to treat our retrospectives with respect, to learn how to work better, right? If we're using the guide, which I understand many of you are not, but we should be, right? Then we should already know that this is a journey to learn how to work better. And remember, that's my definition of Agile. It's a journey to learn how to work better because that's what the Inspect and Adapt is about. That's what the Learn Fast is about. That's what um, the retrospective is about, that's what the Agile Manifesto is about, right? Next, let's ask ourselves, are we doing both the respecting and the holding accountable for the product owner? If not, then we're probably going to have to put that on our retrospective, on our inspect and adapt list, things to improve, so we can correct that. I can't remember off the top of my head if I've done an, uh, an episode on the retro, but I have done it on several of the ceremonies, and Maybe I have, but I'll tell you this, just like the stand-up episode I shared a couple of episodes back, right? Let's get away from the check-the-box questions and answers. Let's get real about what it's going to take to decentralize decision-making, promote an empowered team to do their work. How are we going to foster that, okay? For the product owner, that is, how can we hold them accountable if we're not respecting their decisions for priorities and execution to maximize the value? And if we're respecting those decisions, right, are we challenging them as well? Let me tell you what I mean by that. I tell my kids a lot, and, and other people around me too, by the way, if I stop challenging you, that means I'll quit caring about you. So the question is, do you care? Do you love this? Are you passionate? If so, there's going to be some things that need to be challenged. And you can respect somebody's decision and challenge it at the same time. I think it's healthy. Nobody needs to get their panties in a wad if that happens, right? Let's just be prepared to defend it, to retreat from it, or surrender, right? I've always told my teams in the past that sometimes in the end, we have to compromise to win. That is the name of the game a lot of times, okay? Now, when we're talking about this whole idea of our commitment, right? Our commitment. Is our commitment to do better? Is our commitment to be lean or agile, uh, lean and or agile? Is it, or is our commitment to manage up to the point where we say we have some scaled agile, some kind of methodology or framework, or we've got multiple teams, or we have a, we have a scrum of scrums every other week, and uh, we check the box and we go on about our way here? Or is it that we're really going to address those issues? Now, organizational leaders, if you have the commitment there, and if your answer to that question is yes, I just this is just kind of for free, right? The idea here is that if it comes out of an inspect and adapt and you have asked the question to your mass scale of teams and you're not making any changes to fix that, they just lost faith in you. And you know, I've told y'all before, fundamentally, being in these kind of decentralized decision-making teams, self-organized teams, Trust is huge, man. We got to get the trust thing down. All right. So it's a commitment, right? It's a commitment to the process, a commitment to learn, 
And remember, I don't use the word fail. It's a commitment to get better. It's a commitment to your people so they can provide you more than what you expected from them. That's what you want to shoot for here. Now, I'm not going to have time to go uh, in today about the uh, fourth outcome that I listed in the reply in that thread, but I'll touch on it. Goals could be met, but not maximized. All right. Now, y'all are pretty smart people. If you think about that for a minute, I think you can figure out where I'm going with that. <laughs> Goals may be met, but they may not be maximized. Okay. So let's get off of this crazy, crazy planet. Yeah. So this all came about because we've had a, a thought-provoking leader in our field, in our community, who, uh, who was thinking outside the box, wants to help us with some thinking patterns as well, which is what, uh, what I try to do here again on this podcast. It's just about thinking patterns, guys. Thinking patterns like these are fundamental to how we develop the art of being a product owner, how we develop the art of being agile without just checking a box, right? That also scales into organizational leadership, I think. I believe there's a reason that the first value in the Agile Manifesto is individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Being part of the Scrum or the Agile Thinking Patterns provides us, you know, some opportunities to learn fast, like inspect and adapt, uh, plan, do, check, and act. So we're not getting too far off the trail, right? But the things that make this successful are really simple. If the organization is not recognizing the need for a product owner, if they're not living by the Agile Manifesto, if they're not teaching from the Scrum Guide, or they're not respecting the decisions or holding them accountable for the product owner, then perhaps this mindset and execution style is really not for you. I've said this a hundred times. The process just can't be the product. The process has to make the product better. What I've experienced is that it, when it's not for you, maybe you know it's not in your organizational value stream or, or in your motivators or it doesn't fit your leadership style, then your adoption and assimilation struggle, uh, it, that's going to struggle, right? And the end result is the implementation just based off of buzzwords and shiny stuff, right? So... That's because there, you know, there's a lot of focus on the process or the processes. But for those who have adopted the principles, just to give you some hope, those who have adopted the principles <laughs> and who are doing it for the sake of learning to work better through collaboration and learning fast, it's working out great for them because the value is maximized and the execution continually improves. And that means the product does too. So thanks for joining today. Hope today's episode was helpful to you guys. I'm looking forward to getting back with you with another topic. Please send me some feedback and email at scottplantproductowner.org. Until next time, have a safe, fun, lean journey, my friends. Mm-hmm.